0: The scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter two, verses one through three, and the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses one through two and eight through 11. It can be found on pages one and 61 in the Black Bibles. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work Thank you, Carrie and John Hayes. Good morning to you. Uh, my name's Clay Holland. I am associate pastor here at Christ the King. Glad you're here at Christ the King. We believe at this church that uh, we are all deeply in need, that nobody who walks into these doors is better or holier than another, that all of us deeply, deeply need Jesus, and we all need to find the rest uh, that is only found in him, And so that's my hope as we come to this passage this morning, uh, that we will find our rest uh, in in Christ and be transformed by him. So let's pray together as we go to his word. Father, help us uh, to find our rest in Christ alone. We all come this morning burdened by by something. There's something that's weighing heavy on our heart. And uh, I pray that you would meet us and lead us um, to put on your yoke Jesus because your yoke is easy and your burden is light and in you we find rest for our souls and we ask in your name amen I'll sleep when I'm dead you heard that one rise and grind that's another one I'd rather burn out than rust out Now, these are just some of the slogans that you will see, you know, if you're kind of scrolling through certain people's Instagram, you know, kind of posts. And these are emblematic of what people have termed in our culture hustle culture, right? Hustle culture is a way of life that prioritizes work and denigrates rest to the point that admitting your need for rest is actually a sign of weakness. Hustle culture tells you that it is enough for you to catch an hour of sleep here or there on the floor of your office under your desk. And if in fact you need more than that, you are a weak person that is going to get swallowed up by the strong person who doesn't sleep. Hustle culture writes books that tell you that if you happen to still be in bed at five o'clock in the morning, your competitor has already been up for an hour and a half working out and is now sitting at her computer, getting things done. Hustle culture, like any other cult, has its pantheon of gods, you know. Elon Musk, who claimed in 2018 to work 120 hours per week, that's 17 hours per day for all seven days. Uh, Serial entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk once claimed to work 20 hours per day, seven days a week. I'm no mathematician, but I think that's 140 hours a week. What all of these folks have in common is promotion of a central message that if you're not constantly working, working, if you're not constantly tending to your work, then nobody is, but somebody is competing against you and you are going to lose. Because in this train of thought, if you aren't actively at work, nobody's caring about your work, right? But here's a question, is that actually true? Is that really true? Is it a true statement to say that if I am not at work, nobody is on my behalf? Let's follow that up with a question then. In all of these slogans of so called hustle culture in our world, where is God? Where's God? What's he doing? Well, he's not there and he's not doing anything, basically. He's noticeably absent, but so many of us think this way about so many aspects of our lives. If, if I'm not spending all of my day on Sunday honing my presentation for the board meeting on Monday, then nobody's doing anything, nothing is happening. If I'm not taking SAT prep from three different companies at the same time, nothing is happening, nobody cares about my SAT. If I'm not spending any extra time that I have making sure that I have exactly the right activities set up for my children with exactly the right people in exactly the right places, exactly the right camps, then nobody's caring about my children. Now, is that true? There's actually good and challenging news from the beginning of Genesis chapter 2 which parenthetically I would say actually is better thought of as the end of chapter one. The uh, chapter numbers and the verse numbers are added later. It's better to be the conclusion of chapter one than the beginning of chapter two. Close parentheses on that. But there's good and challenging news here. None of those things are actually true. None of those statements are true. God's rest on the seventh day of creation invites you to rest with him and in him. And when you and I take the risk of rest, God, and this is the amazing part, God is still at work. He's still at work. He's still doing things. We see this when we combine the first part of Genesis 2 with the Sabbath command in Exodus 20 under three points. And I'm going to just tell you on the front end, this is not creative. This is like creation, fall, redemption, straight up. Rest is created by God. Rest is corrupted by sin, and rest is redeemed by Jesus. Rest is created by God, it is corrupted by sin, it is redeemed by Jesus. Rest is created by God. We see this in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, that before sin enters into the world, God establishes a pattern for himself of work and rest, and because we are created in the image of God, we mirror his pattern of work and rest. It is a mandate of creation, it is not a product of sin. Or the fall. So here we are, the culmination of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. God has created all things out of nothing in the space of six days. He has spent that time ordering creation, culminating in the creation of human beings, the only creatures that God created, of which it can be said are created in the image of God. But there's another day. Now it's day seven. Day six has been a whirlwind of activity. What's going to bring the story? How can you top that? What's going to bring the story to completion? Well, here's what the text says. God rests. Now, there's an interpretive note worth pointing out here. In verse 2, where the ESV, it looks like that God kind of wrapped up some odds and ends on the seventh day, that God finished his work of creation on the seventh day. He had a couple of errands to run. H-E-B didn't have avocados, so he had to go to, you know, to Randall's, that kind of thing. But that's really not what that means. Uh, it's better to be understand that verse as saying this. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had done. He wasn't putting on the final touches of his creative work. He was finished. But even though he was finished with his creative activities, he did three things on the seventh day. He rested, he blessed, and he made holy. He rested, he blessed, and he made holy. God rested on the seventh day. Now that's actually a strange thing to, to say, right? If you think about it, what does that mean? I know I rest when I'm tired. So w- w- it, it was God just so exhausted, so worn out, so wiped out from his actual work of creation that on the seventh day he just had to crash you know, and go to sleep? Does God get tired? Well, the rest of the Bible actually says that, that he doesn't. Psalm 121 says that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So the word rest, from which we ultimately derive the word Sabbath, that's in Exodus chapter 20 that we just read, it doesn't, it's not a connotation of fatigue. God is not exhausted. What it means is that God stopped creating. He ceased from his work of creation he had finished his work of creation he rested on the seventh day god blessed the seventh day this is in verse 3 and this also kind of sounds strange when you think about it we've heard this word once before in the sermon series that we've been going through in genesis but when we think about blessing it's usually directed toward people and not like things like a day how can god bless a day Well, the best biblical definition that we have for the word bless comes from the word that God commanded his priests to speak over his people. We find it in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. Okay, what does that mean? The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace. So to be blessed by God means that God looks at you in the face. He looks at you in your eyes. Not to condemn you. Not to show wrath to you. But to delight in you. So, blessing is... Is the language of delight. And on the seventh day, God stopped his work of creation and he delighted in the work that he had done. My grandfather on my mother's side died when I was eight years old, but I have a lot of memories of him uh, from my really early childhood. He was a blue-collar worker during his worker years and uh, Tupelo Mississippi and Jackson Mississippi He worked as a lineman and a technician For the phone company That's what he did And when I was little he'd retired uh, And he taught me about two things He taught me about fishing and he taught me about gardening Now The fishing part took The gardening part You can ask my wife Not, not, not so much But he loved Landscaping loved it And their yard, my grandmother and grandfather's yard in the spring, was unbelievable. Azaleas, blooming dogwood trees, which you don't see much around here, but are the the best, honestly. Rock borders flower beds it was fantastic and my grandfather who we called pop would he would work on his landscaping some every day and as it got towards evening it got a little bit cooler he would go into this little shed where he kept all his equipment and he would pull out two folding aluminum folding chairs that he probably got from Kmart he would set them up right there and he and my grandmother while my brother and I would just kind of play he and my grandmother would just sit in those chairs and they would just sit quietly And they would just look at the landscaping. They would just look at the yard, just look at it, not saying a word. Do you know what my grandfather was doing? Delighting. He was delighting in the work that he had done. That is how God blessed the seventh day. And finally, God made the seventh day holy. This is also in verse three, and it means that God set apart and made special the seventh day as a day on which human beings, which are the only creatures of all of the Bible that are created in the image of God, actually image God, meaning we mirror God, by leaning into his pattern of work and rest. You can take all, this, this idea of the image of God is so full of mystery, but in many respects you can boil it down to saying that those who are created in the image of God mirror him. We image him by following his patterns and in this case by following his pattern of work and rest by taking delight in God and God's world. We work six days and we rest on one taking delight in him and what he has done. Now this according to Exodus 20 is the foundational basis for what the Bible calls Sabbath rest and like work Sabbath rest is not a necessary product of human sinfulness. Its foundation is God's work of creation when sin had not yet entered the world. So that's what it means to be fully human. Human as you were created by God to be before anything bad had ever happened, before sin had entered into the world. Our pattern, because it is also God's pattern, is to work six days ordering God's creation and having dominion over it And resting one day, delighting in God and in His world. Not encourage you to let God's delight in His creation and then His inviting you into His delight reframe how you think about your own patterns of work and rest in the world. To rest is not to just work so hard that you kill over and have to take a breather, it's not a time out either from what you were doing. And it's also not this thing to be framed by legalism. Although in Jesus's day, both the Pharisees and then later on the church have attempted so often to put so many boundaries, so many fences, so many rules around Sabbath rest that it can become anything other than a true delight. But here's one encouragement. To delight in God means prioritizing in your life the worship of God. Making the worship, the gathered worship of God, the priority of your life, ordering your life around it and not it around the rest of your life in such a way that you center your life on the delight of God. If if the creation rhythm of work and rest is true and delight in God lies at the heart of what it means to rest from our labors in this world, then gathered worship is the place where that happens most purposefully and most pointedly. It is the place where God's word is proclaimed. It's where God invites you to his table to eat and, and drink with and share a meal with, with Jesus. It's where God actually brings new people into his family through baptism. Gathered worship is that rest of delighting in God. But you and I both know that delighting in God is no longer our default state. We've got a problem, right? And it is here where we can see that our rest is corrupted by sin. Rest is corrupted by sin. We're not going to get into the first sin of Adam and Eve until later on in this series. Maybe next week, I can't remember. But a sneak peek is that the impulse of the heart that led Adam and Eve to disobey God was a heart desire for them to be their own gods. To rule their own lives and not to have their lives ruled and governed by God. That was the heart disposition. And that desire to be our own gods and to rule our own lives is now implanted into every single human heart that has ever followed since Adam and Eve. No one is immune from that. And one of the corruptions of this rebellion against God, this sin, as the Bible calls it, is summarized by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 as our proclivity to worship created things rather than the Creator. It is to make other things, ourselves or something else, God in our lives in place of the living and true God. Even good things. If we take good things that God has made and make them ultimate, we are replacing the God, uh, we're replacing the creator with something that is creator. And we can do this in our lives with both work and rest, interestingly enough. It's probably no surprise that many people take the God good God-given gift of work and turn it into their God rather than having their work point them to God. Um, John talked about this a few weeks ago in a really amazing sermon. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to it. But work makes a terrible God because work, this might surprise you, work does not love you. It doesn't. It doesn't love you. Work is not gracious to you. Work does not offer you forgiveness. And the nature of our work in this fallen world means that it is actually never done. But here's something interesting. In our cultural moment particularly, I think you can see this, it is also possible to take the biblical concept of rest, which was created to be ceasing your labor in this world one day out of seven to delight yourself in God and his world and to make rest your God. There is, a, you know, a, there is a, a, a counter-narrative to hustle culture in, in our world, and it's kind of the world of the four-hour work week, right? You've heard of that, the four-hour work week. It, it, it's this idea that if you can get, get everything lined up just right, if you can put all of the pieces in place, then you can sit back. You can let the passive income roll in, and you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, However it is that you want, at any time. You can live wherever you want. It's a dream, right? This is the dream. As a culture, we sometimes seem obsessed with not longing for heaven, with not waiting for heaven, with not living towards heaven, but with trying to figure out a way to make heaven on this earth for ourselves in the way that we define it right now. But that's the that's the. That's the delicate balance of work and rest. If all of life is work, you are missing the beauty of God's gracious provision of rest. But likewise, if all of life is rest, you are missing the beauty of God's gracious provision of work, which was also created before sin entered into the world. So that leaves us in a really awkward spot, right? Kind of a mess, It leaves us in great need, actually, and this is where we see that rest is redeemed by Jesus. If the Bible is true, and here at Christ the King, we believe that the Bible is true, you can have all of the leisure in the world. You can lounge on the deck of your mega yacht off the coast of Italy for months at a time. And if your trust is not in Jesus, you will not be at rest you will not be at rest. That's what the scriptures tell us. Jesus himself said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter four that those who believe in Jesus enter into the rest of God right now. But Psalm 95, which he quotes from, says that those who refuse to believe in Jesus never enter into his rest you see the sabbath itself one day out of seven that god created for physical rest is not an end unto itself like so many other things it is a sign that points us to something greater rest for your heart and your soul now today in jesus and eternal rest from your striving and your suffering and your sinning, and your guilt-laden conscience in the new heavens and the new earth. Seizing upon the gift that God gives you to rest one day in seven, to delight in him, is in fact actually the closest thing that we can ever come to heaven on this earth. But all this is nothing if it does not involve true faith and true trust in Jesus because only Jesus provides rest for your soul now I've known this actually a long time I've studied this a long time I went to seminary like I know things about the Bible some things but I'll tell you every time I read this and think about this there's something that pops into my head and it is this that sounds awesome but what in the world does that mean have you ever heard that somebody just just rest in G- rest in Jesus? Yes, great. How, right? Like like seriously. Well, let's let's I don't know. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. First, you find rest in Christ by putting your trust in him as your Savior and, your, and, and Lord. If you're here this morning and you've not come to the place in your life where you have transferred your trust from yourself or from something else onto Christ alone, you're never going to have peace. You're never going to have that rest you're never going to have that rest from trying to either earn God's favor by striving to be a good person or, 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 or get the rest that you need from this, the guilt that is plaguing you in your life until you transfer your trust from yourself or whatever else it is in unto Jesus alone. But second, you actually find tangible rest in Christ by hiding God's word in your heart. Reading and meditating on the scriptures is not a form of righteousness by works. It's actually a gift of God's grace to you where he forms you after his own heart and transforms your mind in the image of Christ. And this is where we can really actually find tangible rest in this life when the rubber meets the road. When you're overwhelmed with guilt, with worry, with, with melancholy, and yes, there is a distinction between clinical anxiety and depression from worry and melancholy at a heart level with hopelessness, with envy, with lust, with pride, with thinking about yourself as superior to any other person who is also created in the image of God. And those impulses come up from your heart and you are tempted to lean into them and you are tempted to live by those things Actually finding rest in Christ involves bringing those impulses and the thoughts of your heart into the front of your mind, into the front of your brain, and testing them and subjecting them to the light of God's word. We actually find rest that way. Here's an example, why why am I distressed over my daughter not getting invited to the sixth grade party in September of the sixth grade year at the cool kid's house? You know that stresses you out, right? Why do I feel more stressed about it than she does? Is it because I feel like this is like one step in a path of social legitimacy? If If she gets off of that path right now, she'll never be able to get back on it and all will be lost? You can see how this kind of starts stirring things up, right? And you can start leaning into this sort of thing and you can start going down weird paths or you can subject it to the scriptures. What does the Bible say? Do not be anxious about anything because if God cares so well for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how much more will he take care of one of his baptized daughters? In fact... God, in bringing this one into his family, loves her more than even you do as her mom or as her dad than you ever could. And he has a more beautiful plan for her life than we could ever construct in our own wisdom. Better than we could ever believe. And you can begin to find rest in your soul in Christ. Sabbath rest is made possible only by Jesus and it points us to Jesus and it teaches us and forms us to rest in Jesus. It's a gracious gift. Now, I been thinking about this all week. I've, I've thought about like 10 different subsets that I would love to apply this to. Somebody needs to do a class on this. I don't know, anybody, anybody, anybody wanna to volunteer to do a class on how Sabbath rest applies to different, I was thinking about moms, right? I was thinking about, uh, all kinds, so I'm only gonna do one, but I got more, I got more in my head but I'm only gonna do one because we have to finish, okay? I'd like to address one group of people specifically because this is one that I'm actually confused by. Maybe it's my age and stage and that Shannon and I have now walked through an entire life cycle of kind of West Houston achievement culture with our children, which ain't pretty all the time, I can tell you. So I've been thinking about this because I know a major objection to all of this. Ironically, ironically, you know, what John has been doing with great wisdom and care is, is grounding you know, creation in its context. And the context of the Sabbath command that was given to the people of Israel was given to them in an agrarian society. You plow, you water, you pick the weeds, you feed your animals, you make sure they have water, you do all those things six days a week. And on one day, on 24 hours, you kind of just let that stuff rest too, right? And you're thinking to yourself, well, I get that. I can plow, I can water, I can weed, I can, you know, and for 24 hours I can let all that sit. What, what, what bad could happen? Actually, bad things can happen. It involves great trust in Jesus to even do that, but, but stick with me here. Um, I can do all that, but I don't live in that world, right? I don't live in that world, especially If you are a young person who is just starting out in your career and you are not in control of your schedule, you work in a world where somebody else tells you what to do, when to do it, where to go, and how to do it, and you're not in control. Some of y'all fit into that category. How do you rest and delight in God and his world when you're actually not in charge of your work schedule? Not 100% sure, but I'm going to take, let, let, let's think about this together, okay? Um, here's some thoughts. First, the first thought is this, and it's going to sound negative, but I want to make it positive. Don't enter into that situation with naivete. Don't be naive about, about what that is going to look like because I, I know the dream of the Houston young professional. You know, two years of awful, grinding, soul-sucking work, and then I'll get promoted or then I'll change jobs and it'll be okay. Or, you know, maybe you're a lawyer. You say, I'm just going to grind this thing out. But one day I'll be a partner. When I'm a partner, everything's going to change. And, and, and one of our elders who's a lawyer told me this. He said, you know, um, being a lawyer is like be, it's a pie eating contest. And, and when you win, your prize is more pie. You know, uh, it, it doesn't exactly work like that. Um, yeah, I know residency is horrible, but then I'll have tons of life balance after I'm done with that. I'll work around the clock for, for 10 years. I'm going to make a ton of money, but then I'm going to give back, right? I'll be an angel investor, which is what apparently every 23-year-old wants to do. But here's the question. Is this really true? Is this really the way that our work in this world works? I mean, do you, I would ask kind of like a young person, like, do you know any of the partners in your firm, right? I mean, do, do, you, do you, it doesn't magically work like this, not without thoughtful planning, and yes, actually, some level of sacrifice, some level of sacrifice. And the reason is, is that once you step on the conveyor belt of careerism, and I define careerism as prioritizing your career over any other aspect of your life. Once you step on that conveyor belt, the truth is that it doesn't actually slow down as it moves forward. It actually begins to speed up. It, 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 gets, it gets faster. And of course you can still do all of these jobs. John talked about that in his sermon. Of course you can still have all of these jobs. But if you give your life to them, it's actually naive to think that one day you'll be able to snap your fingers and find a healthy pattern of biblical work and biblical rest in your life. So let's think about a couple of things. One, back up a little bit. And if you're in high school or middle school, this is I'm backing up all the way to you, all the way to you. Because it is tempting in our world to think that, you know, that God occupies like a a cabinet in our lives, but then everything else, you know, a drawer in the li- a cabinet of our life, but if we, everything else is in all these other drawers. And, and when we go to college, we think, okay, I can shove that relation, that part of the God part of my life kind of into the corner and I can pick it back up, you know, when I get out one day. Don't do that. Think about, think about your life and think about the priorities of your life before you step on the conveyor belt. Just think about, at, at a 40,000 foot view, think about the, what, what do you want to be important in your life for the rest of your life? Certainly your relationship with the Lord. Certainly your relationship with the Lord. And high school is the perfect time to set your priorities. Um, and it, 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 Because if you just shove God aside until you, think, I'll, I'll pick this back up when I have more time, guess what, you're not. You're not going to have more time. And you're in a better position now to make decisions about how to think about big priorities in your life without mindlessly stepping onto the conveyor belt of success and then just riding it until it gets to moving so fast that you can't get off of it or it throws you off in a way that hurts you and hurts other people. Something to think about. But if you're on that now, that's where you are it's important to understand that Sabbath rest is both an invitation and a command. Um, as an institution of creation, Sabbath tells us that we cannot possibly be wholly human by either working or resting all of the time. But as a command in Exodus 20 in Deuteronomy chapter 5, a command that is affirmed by Jesus in the Gospels while he graciously removed the burdensome traditions and rules of the Pharisees that were attendant to it, it's an opportunity to trust God. And that means that you will have to take the risk of rest at some point in your life. You may have to have an awkward conversation with your supervisor, thinking about some boundaries for your work and your life, and the ability to worship. You may have to know that many people in your industry are working while you are not. And you have to trust that God hasn't stopped working on your behalf. You may have to leave the hospital when your required time is over, uh, when other people are staying around simply to be seen by the important people that they want to be seen by. It's actually all a question of trust. It's all a question of trust. What do you truly hold as the priority of your life? And is God real or is he not? And that's where the rubber meets the road of Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest created by God, corrupted by sin, redeemed by Jesus. It's an invitation and a command to delight in God and in his world. It's what you're created for. It's what Jesus died to make possible again. So will you enter his rest? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us and the rest that we find in you. This is hard for us, really hard. So help us and be merciful to us, Jesus, we ask. Amen.